Uh, as I talked, to, you were here last week? You were? Yeah, so we talked about how God can, God can talk to you in the most unusual ways if you're listening. And I told you a story, you know, about my dad and that, that particular song. Uh, that is not the only time in my life where God has got my attention like that. Uh, God speaks sometimes in unusual ways that you know if you use your statistical mind or just, it's impossible that just happened by chance. Uh, another time uh, where God uh, s- spoke in a profound way uh, was long before that, those two songs ever played on my, uh, well, even before they had cell phones. Uh, back in 1969, when electricity was first invented, I think. So, uh, in 1969, um, I want to go back to that year, uh, between 1969 and 1984. Uh, in uh, 1984, I made a phone call uh, uh, that uh, was changed me in a profound way. It was a very interesting phone call. Um, I grew up with uh, my mom's uh, mother and father, my grandpa, who was the Choctaw Indian, my grandpa Dorsey, uh, and his wife, my grandma Allery. Uh, I-S-L-A-R-E was her name. Go figure. Never seen that that name since then. Um, She uh, grew up, we lived on the same street, Vine. Uh, To get to my grandma's house, didn't take a lot of time on my bicycle. I could get on the bike and be at grandma's in a few minutes. Um, but my grandfather, uh, who worked for uh, Southern Pacific Railroad, he died of brain cancer at 56 years old. So that left my grandmother in her early 50s as a widow uh, who had to go back to work, and life was hard for her. It was hard for them anyway. Uh, it was really hard for them then. Uh, and so when my grandfather passed away, I remember the night, and I remember all that happened um, when uh, the Lord uh, came for him. But uh, that was the first funeral I ever went to. Uh, it was my grandfather's funeral. And um, I remember sitting in the hearse with my sister Marla and I just kind of, we weren't talking to each other. We were just kind of looking at each other like, wow, what, I mean, what does this mean? And when we were getting ready to go into the funeral home, um, it was a, a very, very, uh, ominous thing to face death as a, as a young child, what that meant. Uh, but after the, the service, we, all the family went back over to my mom's house, uh, and there was a lot of people, a lot of food. And I was in the living room. Uh, my grandmother came in there. What was her name? Allery, Allery came in there, uh, and she uh, put her put her arm around me, uh, and she hugged me really tight, uh, and she said, "Marty, you are now my little man." And I was, uh, I was twelve, and I knew what that meant. Uh, that meant I was going to have to take care of Grandma as my calling in life uh, until I left for college, and I did. So she had a corner lot with a huge yard, and this was before. <laughs> This is before they invented riding lawnmowers. You were the riding lawnmower. And I actually would mow my grandpa's yard with him with the push mower with no engine. Remember those? The blades? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so until I went to college uh, when I was 18, um, whatever my grandma needed, uh, that's what I did. I spent a lot of time at my grandma's house. So she needed uh, all of her trees trimmed in the back, her trying to bury trees trimmed every year in the backyard. I did that. It was a big job. Um, She needed... uh, you know, anything done uh, around the house, the car, whatever, I mowed. That was before uh, weed eaters and edgers were created. Uh, And so to edge her yard, I had to use uh, hand clippers, which is probably where I ended up getting my grip because it would take a couple hours to edge. And she had a picket fence all around uh, part of her property. And it was a couple inches off the ground. So to make it look tight, I had to trim underneath that fence every week by hand. Uh, when they, I remember when they first invented a, a weed eater, I wondered what it was. I'm like, serious? That spins around with a piece of plastic? I mean, serious. But um, I took care of my grandma. Isn't that what a, a grandson's supposed to do? Yeah. I mean, you're supposed to s- step in uh, and, and show your love for them. 
Um, now, fast forward, that was 1969. 1984, my grandma was uh, at Scripps Memorial Hospital uh, in LA, or in uh, San Diego. Uh, she uh, was terminal and she was dying. Uh, and uh, I would call occasionally to see how she was doing. My mom was with her. My mom's sister, my Aunt Roberta, was with her. Uh, and they would take shifts of sitting with her. Uh, she was comatose, uh, unable to, you know, to, to speak and respond. Uh, and so on Thanksgiving evening, uh, while I was in Dallas, Texas, uh, I called on Thanksgiving to see how my grandma was doing. Um, I didn't have enough money to drive there. I didn't have enough money to fly there. Uh, but I had enough money to make a phone call. And so I called. Um, I was uh, waiting to talk, to talk to my Aunt Roberta, uh, who was in the room. Uh, and uh, when the phone rang a couple of times, I was thinking, well, no one's going to answer. Uh, I heard somebody pick up the phone and it kind of fumbled around with the phone. Uh, and then uh, I heard on the other end of the line, my grandma. She said, hello. <laughs> and if you were me, you're like, huh? G grandma? Like, why are you answering the phone? And, you know, I thought you were in a coma. Well, the phone woke me up. I'm like, wow. <laughs> Unbelievable. What day was it? Thanksgiving. What did God give me? A gift. One phone call. If you had that, and I knew it was my last phone call. I, I called, because she died that night after midnight. Um, I got to say to her what I wanted to. You ever been there? I've been there. And, and I asked her, you know, here I am, my fourth year, or I was a third year student, or maybe was he? No, I was a fourth year student at Dallas Seminary, and, you know, I'm heavy doing all kinds of studies, and I get to talk to Grandma one last time. So I asked her, I said, how, how are you really doing? And she said, well, honey, I've been taken through the, the valley of the shadow of death with this disease, and I'm just tired, and I'm ready to go home. And God took her home a couple hours after that phone call. Um, hard to talk about. But I have to talk to you about it uh, because uh, God spoke. He spoke through a phone call. That's how God rolls. Because she had been comatose and no one had, had spoken to her. They were waiting for her to pass away at any time. Uh, and God allowed her to wake up uh, when she heard my phone call. And I got to talk to her one last time. So don't tell me God does not speak. He has done it in my life in jaw-dropping ways. So what's that got to do with Christmas? Well, a lot. Because the way I look at the prophecies of Christ, and there are 60 exact prophecies, I mean, very precise, uh, things he could not control. Um, those 60 prophecies to me as a thinking person are phone calls from God to you. And he's trying to wake you up out of your spiritual coma to tell you, you need to think about my son and who he is. He's the savior, he's the king. And so uh, we started looking at these prophecies last year. We looked at five of them. Uh, we looked at one last week about Jesus be, <clears throat> being the great Davidic king over a great forever empire uh, that we still look forward to as Christians. And when we look at Isaiah, we look at another great prophecy. If you're not a Christian, think of these as phone calls from God to you. And he's telling you, uh, I, you need to wake up uh, from your atheism, your agnosticism, your skepticism, etc. Consider the prophetic evidence that points to the identity of my son because he came to die for your sin and he rose the third day to be your savior. He's waiting for you to make a decision. And if you're a Christian, what's God doing? Well, he's calling you to tell you, you should be excited because I have spoken most definitively and you serve a risen savior that you serve the king who's coming. So don't mope around this Christmas, okay? You promise? Yeah. What do we learn in this obscure book about Jesus? 
this, what, what's the phone call about? Well, in this particular phone call from God to you, he's going to show you that this messianic king, the Messiah, Jesus, uh, he's going to bless the world and he's going to bless them through Israel. And I've always told you, prepositions are so important, correct? I don't know how you feel about them. If the Bible is anointed, prepositions are anointed. Uh, if he says he's, if he says he's going to bless the world through Israel, he's going to do it. And he promised to do this through Abraham when he made an Abrahamic covenant with him in Genesis 12, in Genesis chapter 15. And so when you look at this little book, it's just, it's just interesting that, that God's going to speak through this book about the coming king. And, and I want to talk about the structure of the book in just a minute. But I want to talk to you uh, before we talk about that, because uh, the king is coming. The Savior came, and now the king is coming again. Uh, to, to bless the world through Israel. But what's the world trying to do right now through their anti-Semitism? Well, what I think they're trying to do, because there's demonic forces behind them. So what are they doing? Well, the demons aren't necessarily, they're, they're very intelligent, but they, they're not as smart as God. So they thought they could stop him when he went to the cross and they thought if they can just kill him, then they have total control. Well, they had a problem, right? Three days later, because that Jew they killed rose from the grave and defeated sin and death. So now what? They're, they're reconnoitering. And so what are they thinking? Well, they're thinking, if we, can just, if we can just drive the Jews from the land of promise, Palestine, and then there's no, no land for them to be, there, there's no land that the king comes back, there's no land, so he can't have a kingdom. So what are they trying to do? Uh, eliminate Israel from the land. That's what they're trying to do. Uh, I'm here to tell you today, that's not gonna work. How do I know that? Uh, I read the Bible. And the Bible is anointed the word of God. Because in the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 12, God promised to give the land to Israel through Abraham, the, the patriarch of the Jews. And he, God says in Deuteronomy 7, he chose them not because they're the greatest people on the planet, but because they're the least. And so he says, I'm going to bless the planet uh, through Abraham. And then when you look at Genesis 49, which we looked at, 8 to 12, he says, I'm going to bring a king, uh, but, but this coming one's going to come through the tribe of Judah. Judah. Yeah. Uh, and then in 2 Samuel 7, he says, uh, when this king comes uh, to rule and reign over a kingdom, uh, I'm going to give him a kingdom. He's going to come through the line of David. And so when you, when you look at I mean, the devil, his minions must be freaking out. Because when you look at Jesus' credentials, he, 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 all those prophecies, those phone calls, he, he clicks all of them off. He, he's from Abraham. Uh, he is, uh, he's from the tribe of Judah. What line is he from? David on both sides, mother and father. Uh, he's supposed to be born in the city of Bethlehem, prophesied 800 something years before he was born there. Yeah, he was born in the city. I mean, all these things are statistically impossible. As I've told you before, your stockbroker doesn't know what's gonna happen tomorrow, right? And so this is like, it's, uh, well, they're hoping. And, but this, who could pick this specificity 700 years before the fact, God? And so when you look at what's going on, God is going to, nothing's going to thwart his kingdom plan. So Jesus first came, uh, according to Luke chapter 1, 26 to 28, when the angel Gabriel uh, speaks to Mary, he reveals to her two things about her son. Number one, he's going to be the savior, call his name Jesus. Jesus, Greek, Greek is Jesus, Hebrew is Yeshua, and that comes from the Greek word Yasha, which means to save. So he says, call your name Jesus. Why? He's going to be the savior. Not a savior, the savior. And then he also says, uh, he's from the line of David. He's gonna be the king of kings, uh, as prophesied. And so uh, Mary and Joseph both, both know who's coming. Uh, the angel has told them. And when you look at the writing of, of Amos, Amos living 
many years after these promises were given, uh, is given the task of God to be a prophet. Now, if you study the book of Amos, you will find that he had no degrees. He had no, no education. No, you just look at his name. It's just Amos. There weren't a bunch of letters after his name. He's uneducated. Uh, his, his occupation was he was a gatherer of sycamore fruit. Prestigious job? Probably not. Uh, he's like a nobody from nowheresville. Like, I'm from Tekoa. Huh? I mean, where is, where is that? Uh, you know, it's just like, it's not like, I mean, Culpeper might be a beautiful town. It is. A, I've been there. But it's not like the city, right? I mean, it's just, are you from there? Uh, oh, you're from there. Sorry. Uh, I don't want to offend anybody from Culpeper, but, but that's, that's the kind of places Jesus picks to do great things through. Amen. Amen. You can drive back to Culpeper feeling good, but <laughs> yeah. It's funny, these sermons are a running conversation with, you never know what's going to happen. So, so Amos, nobody from Nowheresville, Tekoa, and God says, I'm going to take you uh, and I, I want, I'm going to make you a prophet and I'm going to send you to the Northern Empire. Because remember the, the nation split in two under, under Rehoboam in 930 BC on heavy taxation. So Solomon dies, Rehoboam, his son becomes the king and says, hey, you think my dad taxed you a lot? <laughs> Ain't nothing. Wait till you see what I'm going to do. So the kingdom split in two under Jeroboam the first in 930 BC. Uh, ten tribes went north, two tribes stayed in the south, oh, in Jerusalem as their capital. Uh, how many good kings did they have up north? I think there were 19 of them. Zero. Every king was evil. They had a false priesthood. They had a, uh, they had a false place to worship. Everything was phony up in the north. But when this book was, I'm still in the introduction of my sermon, if you're still with me. So <laughs> when Amos became the prophet and God sends him north, he could have said, uh, bad idea. They're, they'll kill me up there. You want me to do what? I want you to talk to the king, Jeroboam II. Now, Jeroboam II, uh, the kingdom didn't fall to the Assyrians under Tiglath-Pileser until uh, 722 BC. And so he says, I want you to go up there and tell them to repent like one more big time. And hopefully they will repent and turn to me. Uh, and I want you to take them to task as a people. That's going to be your book you're going to write about. And so at the time, the nation was known for two things. Number one, they had a, a huge military that was extremely successful, which means there was relative peace because of the size of the military. The other thing is they had a lot of money. Those two things can be a bad thing because the military gave them a sense of security, uh, which is false security because the Assyrians are going to defeat them. And then the money gave them the ability to just live large and just forget about God. So... When you get to the book of Amos, uh, in the first two chapters, and I have a chart I'll show you. What is a sermon without a chart? It's DC. We have to have a chart. So, uh, so when you have uh, the, 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 the first section here, um, let me turn this on. So the way the book is, uh, you have, this is supposed to be an S on the end of nations there. I apologize. But the first two chapters are against the nations. Because if you are anti-Semitic and oppose God's uh, chosen people, he says, I remember this. And I will deal with you one day. This is a prophecy. He will deal with these nations. And then he turns from that. And the bulk of the book is uh, against the Israelites. Because God's like, oh, you're my people. You're not, you're not getting off the hook. Because there's consequences to sinful behavior. And so in chapters 3, 1 through six fourteen, he takes his people to task. And tells them, I'm going to judge you. Why does God judge? Whom the Lord loves? He disciplines. And then in uh, chapter 7, 1 through nine fifteen. Uh, he gives uh, multiple visions to tell them why he's going to judge them and how he's going to do it uh, through these visions, through a, something graphic that they can understand. 
But why are we talking about this? Well, because when you get to the end of the book, uh, uh, 9, 11 through 15, it ends, you can see the word there. Huh? Yeah, thank you. It, 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 it's blessings. Uh, do you play a musical instrument, anybody? Yeah, thank you. Okay, so when you play the music in, instrument and, and you read in the, in, the, in the music and it says pianissimo, what are you supposed to do? Huh? Quietly. I have really strong hands. It's hard for me to do pianissimo. Everything to me is forte. You know, so when I see a crescendo at the end, what are you supposed to be doing? Building to that. All my songs kind of sound like crescendo. I just love to play loud. But this is kind of like God's version of a wonderful piece as he makes a phone call to tell you, oh, this song, this whole song, this prophetic song, it's like a crescendo. I'm building, building, building. And then it's kind of a negative. Like if you're, if you're having a hard day and you're kind of feeling down and discouraged, uh, this book's negative because he's talking about judgment. But then he's going to end on a positive note because in wrath, God always remembers mercy. That's how he rolls. And so he ends on a high note when you get to the end of this book by telling him, I'm going to judge the nations for their anti-Semitism. I'm going to judge my people for not following closely after me. But hey, none of that's going to keep the king from coming. None of it. So what, what's going to happen? He's going to tell you in verses 11 to 15 on this crescendo of positivism where he prophesies the coming of the Messiah. What's the Messiah give us? Three things. One, he gives us the king. So he first came as the savior, right? Oh, but, but, he's, but he's coming back as the, as the king. Now, it says here in this text, in that day, he says, I will raise up the fallen booth of David uh, and wall up its breaches, and I will also raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, because the city was destroyed. I mean, the Babylonians just destroyed it, uh, and so did other enemies, the Egyptians, etc. And so he said, this, this, this country that has been destroyed so many times over, I'm going, when the Messiah comes back, I'm going to fix the booth of David. Uh, he says he's going to do this when? It's a prepositional phrase. It's the very first word. In when? That day. Uh, what day would that be? Mm, thinking minds want to know. Um, well, I want to tell you, uh, in that day is a very interesting term. So I'm going to show you this next slide. It shows you, okay. So you following this? Okay. Uh, so, so you read Hebrew from right to left like this. And then those little lines are the, are the vowels. And they have, they have tonal quality. But, but this is... Um, Bayom, right here, ha'hu. And this means in the day, the that day, <laughs> or in that day. You're thinking, what in the world are we looking at this for? It's early in the morning. This is like messing up with my eyesight because that is a major, major statement. When I read that this week when I was studying, I'm like, oh, in that day. When is that? Better yet, where is that used in the Old Testament? And then where did it occur the first time in the Old Testament? That's a question. Well, interestingly enough, when I was looking through that particular phraseology in my Hebrew uh, search engine that I have, um, this is just so cool. I mean, sometimes you find things from God and you're like, oh yeah. The, where it occurs, that phrase in that day, uh, is in Genesis uh, 15, verse 18. Huh. In that day, or on that day, same phraseology, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, to your descendants, I'm going to give this land. What land? Well, the land of Palestine. Uh, what are the land parameters? Uh, from the river Egypt, the Nile, over to the Euphrates River over in Iraq. That, that's going to be your land parameters. Remember, we, we talked, you, say, you said you were here last week, right? We talked about this last week. When the king comes back, when Jesus comes back, 
uh, as the king of kings, uh, what are the parameters of his, uh, of his land head, headquarters? Uh, all the way from the Nile over in Egypt, all the way over to Iraq. And since the headwaters of the Euphrates start up in Turkey, up there too, so Syria, Turkey, etc., Lebanon, that's all part of his empire. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, he's, and he's gonna do this in that day, in that day. What day are you talking about? Uh, well, he, when you study that phrase, in that day, you will find that it occurs in Isaiah 2 a whole bunch of times. Isaiah chapter 2, most interesting chapter, happens to be one of my favorite chapters in the book of Isaiah, because the first four verses says when Messiah returns, he rules and reigns in Jerusalem from the new temple. He's there, and everyone can flow to Jerusalem to learn at the feet of Jesus. Man, talk about exciting. Forget vacations to anywhere else. Jerusalem, the feet of Jesus. But then when you read the rest of the book, uh, chapters 5 to 20, or uh, verses 5 to 22 of Isaiah chapter 2, he says, the king is coming, he'll rule in Jerusalem. But, but before that happens, he's gonna, there's going to be cosmic judgment. He's going to judge the world. That's, that's verses 5 to 22. And he's going to do it, in, according to Isaiah, in verse 11 and 17 and 20, in that day. What day is that? Well, what's interesting is in Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 to 17, John, at the end of the Bible, quotes Isaiah 2. And by doing that, he tells you when in that day is, like chronologically. Well, when is that day? It's the tribulation. It's a seven-year tribulation. Because that's what John says. He's quoting Isaiah chapter 2. In that day when God judges the earth, John says, well, that, that's right before the, he, the king comes back. So David, uh, or uh, Amos is told that in that day, God's gonna raise up the fallen booth of David. He's gonna reinstate the empire. Uh, it's a booth. Does that sound like a beautiful place for a king? A booth. Some translations read a hut. It's a hut. When you think of a hut, what comes to mind? Pizza. What? <laughs> no, not pizza. Unbelievable. <laughs> That's really funny. So some people really need to be in church. Yeah. I don't know where that came from, but, oh, you are funny. So that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. How do you do on those tests where they show you things? And Okay. Anyway. You think of a hut, it's like no running water. Maybe like Gilligan's Island. Yeah. Like, yeah, like maybe no windows, you know, a roof's flimsy, et cetera. So uh, in the text here, it's the... Uh, uh, Sukkot is the word, Sukkot, uh, but it's the word for hut, like they used in the Feast of Tabernacles when they moved around the desert, had to build huts. Um, it, it's that word. It's a, like a temporary thing. But he says, I'm going to rebuild the, the temporary dwelling place of uh, David, but I'm going to make it a forever thing. Because remember, you said you were here last week. He said, I'm going to build David a house, not a hut. I'm going to build David a house. It's going to be uh, uh, the great Davidic mansion that the Messiah will, will dwell in when he comes back. He said, I'm going to rebuild that. And the king is going to dwell there. Gabriel, the angel, uh, told um, uh, the parents of Jesus that Jesus, in Luke chapter 1, verses 30 to 32, the son's name is going to be, this is a test. The name of the son is going to be Jesus. And he's from what line? David. He's going to be the king of kings. He's going to be the savior. He's going to be the king. So uh, were, the, were, the, were the Jews looking for a king? Oh, absolutely. Why? Because the Old Testament said a king is coming. 
Uh, the Magi, they traveled uh, hundreds and hundreds of miles uh, to worship at the feet of Jesus, the king. How'd they know about that? Well, what's interesting is uh, uh, God, uh, years prior to this, about 605 BC, before the Babylonians destroyed uh, the southern kingdom, um, there were three deportations. Uh, 605, 606 was the first deportation when they took a teenager named Daniel. And they took him as part of the intelligentsia class and they took him over to Babylon to make him a Babylonian. That didn't go well for the Babylonians because God took Daniel and made him one of the greatest prophets of all time. And he had a great ministry there. When Babylon came and went and was replaced by Cyrus, king of Persia, uh, they elevated him to a, a place of great expertise in the nation. Uh, and it's really kind of funny because when you study Babylonian soothsaying, uh, the head of that entire class was the prophet of God speaking truth. And who do you think taught those magi about the coming of the Messiah? Daniel. They knew he was coming. And they traveled to worship at his feet. They're looking for the king. John the Baptist, the herald of Jesus. Notice what it says. Matthew 3. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea saying, what? Repent. Why? Uh, well, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Any Jew that heard that knew exactly what kingdom you're talking about. He's not talking about a spiritual kingdom. First and foremost, he's talking about the kingdom the Davidic empire promised through the prophets. Uh, Jesus notified the Jewish people about this in Matthew 4, verse 17. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say at the beginning of his ministry, sounds a lot like John the Baptist, repent, why? Kingdom of heaven is at hand. Because if you don't repent of your sin and turn to Jesus, you're not in the kingdom. So when the king comes back, are you gonna be with him? Uh, Jesus, when he sent the disciples out, Matthew chapter 10, what did he tell them? He says, these 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter into any of the cities of the Samaritans. Those are half-breeds, Jews of Gentiles, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go preach saying to the Jews, what? Kingdom of heaven is where? It's imminent. King is here. Okay, what are his credentials? Uh, he's from Abraham, right? Uh, what, what tribe? Tribe of Judah, Genesis 49, 8 to 12. Let's see. He's supposed to be uh, line uh, of David, uh, is he? Yeah, yeah, we checked. It's from his mother and father, are both from the Davidic line. He, uh, well, he's supposed to be born in the city of Bethlehem, according to Micah 5, 1 and 2. Uh, is he, was he born? Uh-huh, uh-huh. There's two Bethlehems in Israel. Uh, which one was he born in? Uh, Ephrathath, the one in the south, you know? Oh, oh, you know, check, 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 check. See, God's making a phone call. He's calling you. He's telling you. Uh, you listening? You listening? All throughout the, his ministry, he offered the kingdom to the Jews. What'd they do? They rejected the king. They rejected the king. Because he talks about at the end of his ministries how he would have loved to put his arms around them as a people and, and love on them, but they rejected him. So what'd the king do? He fulfilled Isaiah 53. He went to the cross to die for the sins, not just of his people, but of all people. He fulfilled that literally. He's coming back as the king, literally. You're going to be there when he comes back? Uh, the second thing that he gives is he gives Israel, not the church, he gives Israel the land. Uh, Amos 11 and 12. In that day, I'm going to raise up the fallen booth of David. I'll wall up its breaches. I'll also raise up its ruins. I'll rebuild it as in days of old. Why will he do this? That they, who's they? Israel, may possess what? Well, the remnant of Edom and all the nations, the Goyim, uh, who are called by my name, and who's going to do this? Uh, well, the Lord, the Lord's going to do this. He's going to give them the land. So, does it matter what Hamas does? No. Does it matter what Hezbollah does? Hmm, no. Um, how about Iran? 
No, they, they can try as they might to take over the land. I got, I, got a, I got news. God Almighty gave them the land. And we get to enjoy it because we're related to the Messiah. So when we come back on horses, according to Revelation 19, and we will learn to ride now. When we come back, it says we come back with him, arrayed in white, white linen. Uh, and Jesus is at the front taking on the forces of evil that are trying to wipe the Jews off the planet. And then Jesus comes back and you're behind him. I don't know if you can ride a horse with no hands, but don't you know that day you will. Now, Presbyterians, Episcopalians may have a hard time letting go, but it's a Pentecostal thing. Yes, yes. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He's gonna give them the land just like he said he would. I, I find it exciting. He says, I'm gonna give you the land to possess it. Now the word possess, the Hebrew word uh, is uh, yarash. Yarash, and, and there, there is the word there, uh, uh, Yarash. Uh, th and, and this is, he said to him, I am the Lord, uh, which is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm giving this to you to possess this land. That's in Genesis 18. It's the same word. That's where he gave him the land parameters. He says, this is your inheritance. So when your parents pass away, what's supposed to happen? You don't know? <laughs> what's a, they have a, an inheritance, Correct. Hopefully there's a trust document that divides the land. So there's inheritance. Like when Liz's uh, mom died and I was the head, of the, uh, head of the trust, I had to, you know, sell the house and all the stuff and then divide it all up. I mean, you know, everybody that's in the document, everybody gets part of the, 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 the blessing. You bless your children, right? This is news to you. Uh, see, when Jesus comes back, he's giving you inheritance. He loves you. He's going to pour it all over you. But it starts with pouring it all over Israel because in Genesis 15, he says, I'm going to give you the land to possess it. So who's not going to get the land? Anybody that opposed them. They're not going to be part of that. He says, I'm going to give you the land. Uh, now we know the land parameters are from what river to the west? The Nile River. Over to what river on the Euphrates? Uh, the headwaters of the Euphrates are in Turkey. So he's going to give them Turkey. What's below Turkey? Uh, Syria and Lebanon. How about the, how about the south? What are the, what are the southern parameters of the land? He just told you what the southern parameters of the land are. What country? Edom, Edom, Edomites. These are relatives of Israel. He says, I'm going to give you their land. Now, this is interesting. Why? Well, because uh, if you read Obadiah uh, verse 12, and there's no chapters in Obadiah, just one, one chapter. Uh, God says, I will remember the activity of the, the, of, the, of the Edomites who when you fled, when you're being attacked by the Babylonians, you fled south to get away from Nebuchadnezzar and the Edomites sealed off the border and, and kept you there until the Babylonians showed up. Uh, and I will remember that because the way the Babylonians rolled uh, is they took fish hooks and they punched them through the jaw of every prisoner and then they roped them all together to a guy on a horse. And then it was 500 to 600 miles to Babylon. You imagine how many didn't make it. They were brutal. And God says, I will not forget what you did and you're gonna pay a penalty for what you did to my people and I'm gonna give them your land. So Israel's kingdom parameters when Jesus returns are massive for his headquarters. You're gonna be there when he comes back and gives Israel the land and you get to enjoy the land because you're part of the, of the kingdom of the, of the Messiah. How do you become part of that kingdom? Peter tells you, Acts 4. What's Peter say? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, where's he from? Nazareth. 
whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead by his name, by this name, uh, this man stands here that we just healed in good health. He goes on to say uh, in this passage, he is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven, Peter says, that is given among men by which they must be saved, must be. You cannot be saved, spiritually speaking, and be part of the Lord's family and kingdom unless you come by means of Jesus Christ. He is the Savior. He came to be the Savior, but he's also the King. I don't know about you, but on the day when the Lord comes back in glory and we come back with him, it's going to be an awesome day. There's two ways you can uh, look at the Lord's coming. Yes or ha-oh. Ha-oh, I don't know if it's Hebrew. Could be Greek. Ha'o is I made the wrong decision. And uh, the Lord will divide those that are his from those that are not his. Those that are his go into the kingdom. He says so in Matthew 25. Those that are not his do not go into the kingdom and are judged eternally. Where are you gonna be when the king returns? Uh, Peter says, come by way of Christ. The third thing that the Messiah gives when he returns uh, is he gives absolute bounty. Like when he, when he let me make that phone call and my grandma picked up the phone, that was God's bounty to me on Thanksgiving day. It was his bounty. Notice what he does here when he comes back. He says, behold, the days are coming. At the end of the book declares the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed, when the mountains will drip, what? Sweet wine. And all the hills will be dissolved. Also, I will restore the captivity of my people Israel. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will also plant vineyards and drink their wine and make gardens and eat of their fruit. They're going to enjoy the land. Because if you study prophecy, um, the devil is going to unleash the Antichrist and his forces against them one last time and decimate Israel. But read Zechariah 14. When they're trying to do that is when Jesus appears uh, to fight for his people and bring us with him. And he says when he gets back onto the planet, he's going to change how the, how the planet functions. I don't know how you feel about gardening. Do you like gardening? Isn't it exciting? You're, if, you're, if you don't like it, you're thanking God it's winter and you don't have to mow anymore, right? If you're like me, you're depressed. It's like, serious? What's going to happen when the king comes back? He's going to say, remember how the earth was in the Garden of Eden? Well, what was it like? Prolific. I mean, it was prolific. There was no sin. I mean, imagine... If you had a planet now and there's no sin, means there's no weeds. <laughs> Praise God. No one's got to ask any of me anymore. I got this in my yard. How do I get rid of this? It's no weeds. Unbelievable. And no disease on plants. I've been trimming my trees the last couple of weeks. Uh, I do it every year. I prune them to keep them a certain size uh, and shape. And I'm cutting out dead wood and everything. It's like in the kingdom age, that's not going to be a problem. He says here, if you got, if you got, if you have, uh, a team of oxen and you're a plower, plower? Is that a word? Probably not. I just invented it. If you plow, uh, you're plowing and what's happening behind you? Did you read the verse? What happens behind you? You're plowing and up behind you is coming wheat. Bing, 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 bing. And the guys are reaping behind you while you're plowing. If you're plowing, aren't you going to stop and turn around and go, what in the world? Well, we're in the kingdom, babe. This is amazing. This is amazing. How long does it take uh, before you plant wheat before you can harvest it? Do you know? No farmers here. Seven to eight months. What's going to happen to the kingdom? <laughs> you throw the seed out after you plant, 
and you better get the reaper right behind him. I mean, it's like almost instant. Isn't this amazing? Can you imagine what's going to happen to fruit trees? I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, if you're not a Christian, you're going to miss all of this. I mean, it's going to be exciting. And talk about taste. Oh, my. And then he says something. It really doesn't pertain to me. I had to think about it this week. Uh, he's going to change wine drinking. Hmm. That's what he says. He, he says uh, he, the mountains are going to drip down sweet, sweet, sweet wine. I had to ask myself as a non-wine drinker, because to me, it just all tastes the same. Everybody oozes and ahs about smelling this, smelling that. I'm like, smell what? I mean, serious. I mean, if I drink this much uh, of a glass of wine, I go to sleep. It's like, it's worthless to me. So I got to get ready for the kingdom because he talks about, there's going to be sweet wine here. I'm going, oh, great. Uh, maybe I'll, 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 I'll go for the apples or something. But how many, I had to ask myself as a non-wine drinker, how many kinds of wines are there? Yeah, see this little grid up here? So these are names that uh, I can read Greek and Hebrew, but some of these are like, serious? They must be French. Like Sauvignon, what is that thing? Is that French? It's like you got cotton in your mouth or something. I mean, yeah, there's a Pinot, Grigio, a Riesling, a Chardonnay, a Pinot Noir, a Zinfandel, a, a, a Syrah, a Syrah. What is that? Syrah, see? <laughs> this, is I, this is when I find out who drinks wine. Uh, and that last one that... <laughs> We got video. Yeah. We analyze it as pastors. Row two, seat seven. Uh, Cabernet, Cabernet what? Savignon. Something like that. Do they taste different? Now, now think about this. In the kingdom age, there's how many up there? Eight different varieties. In the kingdom age, this is nothing. This is Jesus changing the earth back the way that it used to be. Could you imagine the taste? You have perfect taste buds. Perfect grapes. He says, in the kingdom age, if you're, because in California, there was vineyards all around my house. And I, I know the drill, you know, in the winter, they're out there cutting all the vineyards, getting them all pruned and clean. And then next, you know, next, you know, spring out pop the everything, the vines and everything. Imagine this, you're out there trimming. And while you're doing this, they're popping up behind you and they're having to pull the grapes off the vine after you're trimming because there's so many grapes. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. I don't know what your, your understanding of the Lord is, but he loves to shower people with, with bounty, with prosperity. What's the kingdom going to be like? Like that, like that. You're going to be there. Well, how do you make sure you're there? Well, you know the king as the savior. You know the king as the savior. How did you hear about him as a savior? Well, the Lord made a phone call to you in your spiritually comatose state. And you heard that, well, he's the savior but he's not my savior yet. I'm speaking rhetorically. And then you say, Lord, make me your child and he will forgive you and make you a kingdom member. So the king is coming back. You know this, do you know this? I'm excited about it. And I live in a very dark, evil age, but the hope is what lies ahead because no one's gonna stop what God's gonna do. Let's stand. God, thank you for the opportunity to look at an ancient prophecy uh, that will be literally fulfilled uh, in completion uh, when Jesus comes back the next time. Uh, we pray that we might be obedient until then and have great hope and joy about us as we live for you. And for those who don't have a faith relationship with you, uh, help them to answer the phone today. You're calling them. And for that answer to be, Lord, redeem me and you shall, because that's why you were born, was to save. Thank you for who you are. Uh, give us a great joy in our faith in Christ's name. Amen.